listening to Package Your Genius, a conversation designed to give you clarity on your calling and serve as a catalyst for your career. I'm your host, Amanda Miller Littlejohn. Exciting episode today for you guys. I hope you've enjoyed the series on focus with guests like Kimberly Boyd Lewis and Miko Whitlock, who helped us think through what decisions we can take off of our plates so that we can bring more focused energy to the actual things that we want to be remembered for in this life. Today's interview is a bit different. We will be talking to a former corporate employee who left corporate America and turned in her golden handcuffs in order to launch a passion project that turned into a full-fledged, very successful training company in under two years. So I'm excited to share with you today my guest, who also happens to be a Packager Genius Academy alum, who has Uh, walked away, started anew, and continues to inspire me and so many others. I'm excited for this episode for a few reasons. It's a great conversation, but it also touches upon a lot of the fears and frustrations and feelings that come up for people who are currently working in a quote-unquote good job, right? So there's security there, there's financial security, there is the weekly or biweekly paycheck, there's the esteem that comes from working with a well-known brand. There's so many different factors that you have to consider when it's time to make that leap. And our guest today shares how, you know, she felt all of those fears, she felt all of the frustrations, she felt all of the things that come up when you are about to leave a place that is well known and has provided for you uh, in order to bet on yourself. And she shares her story, the good and the bad. And I'm hoping that she gives you some inspiration for you when it's time to make your leap. So enjoy the interview. I am thrilled to be here today and sharing a special interview with none other than Amber Cabral, who I had the fortune of getting to know and becoming very well acquainted with during um, our fall 2017 cohort of Packager Genius Academy. And um, Amber and I met prior to the Academy but we obviously got to spend a lot of time together during that three-month experience, and we've become fast friends ever since. So I'm super excited to share her story, her very inspiring personal journey and professional journey of becoming a disruptor in the corporate space and just being an amazing uh, woman who's out here following her dreams and her passions and uh, being someone that we can all emulate. So welcome, Amber, to Package Your Genius. Thank you. That glorious introduction. Can I take you with me everywhere I go? Well, I mean, you know, I got to sell it or else the people (laughs) won't want to hear what you have to say, right? That was fantastic. (laughs) So tell us, Amber, a little bit about who you are and what you do. I mentioned your company name, but 
tell us about your company and give us kind of the boilerplate of who you help and what type of services you provide. Sure. So my name is Amber Cabral. I own a diversity and inclusion consulting firm, boutique sized, um, called Cabral Co. And what I essentially do is help organizations identify um, some of the ways that they can shift their behaviors or mindsets or tactics to help them diversify the culture of the organization. So culture is an important part of that. I like to make sure that people realize it's not just about counting heads. It's also about how it feels to work there. And so I, I partner with organizations to help them move the needle on actually having an inclusive as well as a diverse culture. I love it. I feel like diversity and inclusion are such hot topics and important topics, timely now and probably should have been timely a lot sooner than now. But it's exciting to see these topics get the attention that they deserve. But, you know, how does a person end up in diversity and inclusion? Like, how did you know? Did you study this in school? Is this what you always set out to do? Yeah, that's a rich question. <laughs> so no, I didn't study diversity and inclusion in school, but I kind of did. It, it kind of happened to me. So I probably took an interest initially where I realized it was diversity and inclusion when I used to work for Blue Cross Blue Shield in Michigan many, many years ago. And they decided that they wanted to have a diversity council. So it was a kind of a side thing. It was like a project you could volunteer for. I was voluntold <laughs> to do it mm -hmm. and ultimately realized that I really liked the topic. And mm -hmm. I took a, a big interest in creating an environment where things felt fair. Now, the fair part has always been a part of who I am. So I've kind mm -hmm. of always found myself in spaces where I was pushing for or fighting for or trying to create opportunities for people who didn't necessarily um, seem to have them. So I think that's part of how I ended up being voluntold. Um, but, you know, I, I, I sat on this diversity council for uh, a number of years. I ended up transitioning from Blue Cross to another company, doing the same job, which my day job at the time was a grievance coordinator. I was responsible for helping people. Yeah, nothing at all related to diversity. Right. Um, and grievance coordinators essentially are responsible for saying, oh, this benefit isn't covered. You feel like it should be. Let's have a conversation about whether or not we will cover it under a unique circumstance and there are steps to that process. And so I was basically responsible for that. I, you know, I was in health insurance. That was what I did. And so I transitioned to another company in Georgia called Peach State Health Plan, where I did grievance because that's what I was doing at Blue Cross. And mm -hmm. I realized very quickly that I was doing the wrong thing. Like I, I missed all of the diversity and inclusion stuff. I missed mm. having my hand in that and being connected to opportunities that let me say the things that needed to be different to make a place feel better to work at every day. And so um, as I sorted that out, I ended up deciding I was going to leave Peach State. And whether I had a job or not, <laughs> I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I decided, I, you know, at the two-year mark, I was going to just step on out. And honestly, I was going to bartend for however long it was going to take me to figure out the next thing. 
Um, told a few friends about it, let them know that I was going to step out and, you know, take this chance. Felt like I could make some, some decent money. I was living in Atlanta where, you know, the bar scene is busy. So it felt like it would be a good, you know, at least way to make sure I had income coming in while I figured it out. And I had a girlfriend reach out to me and say, Hey, there's an opportunity at Walmart that might be a good fit for you. Mm Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, I can't work for Walmart. <laughs> like, I worked in uh, companies that were very union aligned. And so, you know, most people know the the Walmart union story. And so I was like, no, right. I can't do that. Um, but what was the job? What was the role? Yeah, the job was not even related, again, specifically to diversity. But it was a fairness thing that kind of drew me in. So the the role that I initially joined the company doing was I was responsible for global mentoring initiatives. I I was Mm -hmm. a manager over anything mentoring that happened globally in the organization. I sat in the global talent management department. So uh, anything that was happening with globally that, uh, I'm sorry, mentoring that touched any of our execs or any part of the organization, any kind of organized programming that was in my wheelhouse. So I was essentially mm-hmm. responsible for mentorship. Right. Um, and how was this, how was this attached to fairness though? Because you're, you're going super fast. I got to slow you down. I know. And I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to um, underscore that by volunteering, even though you were voluntold to participate in this special project or working group, you uncover, you inadvertently discovered this, passion for diversity and inclusion. And this was not a part of your job description. It was an additional project that you were participating in within your full-time job. You end up leaving that full-time job, starting another full-time job where the working group special project is absent, but the job description is similar to the old job, you have an aha moment of, guess what? The thing that made that job tolerable was the part I wasn't even responsible for, the part I wasn't getting paid for. So I just wanted to underscore that because a lot of times when people are not necessarily feeling fulfilled at work, I'll recommend that they, you know, mix up what they're doing, volunteer outside of work, but also volunteer on special projects at work so they can, number one, expand their network and meet new people, but number two, expand their skill set and have new opportunities. And for you, you know, how fortuitous was it that you were put on this project that, you know, you weren't seeking out, but it turned out to be an opportunity to uncover the skill set that you're using today in your client work. Like, that's just, that's just incredible to me. Yeah, it was, I didn't know it at the time. Like that wasn't the plan, but right. I was doing something I really liked and mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that I really liked it until it was gone. Until <laughs> it so, was gone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and it was absolutely a special project. It was something that, you know, no one at that time had a diversity job. Like diversity wasn't seen as a job. And right. so, it, you know, it, it was just something people were kind of lumped together to say, okay, you know, and you know, I think the organization was doing the best they could, but it, it felt a little bit check the box at the time because people didn't understand that they really needed this to be something that people deliberately focus on. Right, and so right. that, that wake up happened later. So even if I had left there and known I want to do something in the diversity space, I don't know that there were opportunities that were specific like that 
just at that right. point for me. So I, I didn't even, you know, I, I didn't look, <laughs> you know, I looked for what I was doing at the time. Right. But then once you were in a new role that fit, that clearly fit what your resume matched up with the skills and the qualifications that your resume kind of said that you were qualified to do, you realize then that, okay, there's more to me than this. And I have to scratch this itch or at least free myself up to be available for an opportunity that is a better fit. Yeah. So once you got to Walmart, um, you were over this mentoring program. And did you feel like your sense of fairness or fighting for fairness was somehow aligned with that? Like what made you take that position? Yeah. So I, when I interviewed for the role, it was not very defined, but right about that time, mentoring was becoming a hot topic, very similar to how diversity is a hot topic now. And I've had a bit of experience mentoring. I have a couple of young people that I had taken in as a pretty young person myself. And so mm. I've been really impactful in, you know, people's lives in general, just as a, a, a person who's willing to step in and say, hey, maybe we can create a different environment for you. And so the idea of mentorship really resonated for me. And it was something that I was doing before I really knew what it was called. And so a mm. lot of my interview was my personal experiences. A lot of my interview with Walmart was about how I had lived my life and how living my life that way created an opportunity for me to understand kind of the core tenets you have to have to connect with people and how to potentially teach others to do that. So my job was right. teaching people why mentorship was important, which does create opportunity and does give people visibility and access that they don't have. So that's how it connects to FAIR. And then it was also um, providing resources to help them action on it. And mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily diversity directly or fairness directly, but it connected to those things that I knew really kind of lit me up. Mm. So that's how I ended up in that role. And, and so tell us about the work that you eventually ended up doing. So how did that role evolve? And I mean, because that was when you first began, I guess, officially your diversity journey at the Fortune One, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I worked under that project. Here's the thing about corporate that's funny. Sometimes you don't know really what you're experiencing in corporate America or how impactful you are until you evolve. And so mm -hmm. in that role, I had a lot of access. I had access to a lot of leaders. I had access to a lot of information because my role was so touchy-feely, so to speak. It was about connecting mm -hmm. people and relationship building and, and things like that, that people understand, but don't necessarily know how to do in a corporate space. It mm -hmm. put me in a position to build a lot of strong partners across the organization. And I didn't realize that at the time, I just looked at it as part of my job, but it ultimately was one of the ways that I was able to evolve into the person that I am now and see what skill sets people need to be able to do the kind of work that I do today um, and teach mm -hmm. others how to apply that. So um, I, I started out with responsibility for mentoring. I ultimately ended up taking on uh, the intern program for uh, Walmart's corporate office, which 
started out at about 160 interns. By the time I, I separated from it, it was about 310. So mm-hmm. grew that program a lot, changed it a lot, uh, changed the experience of it a lot, changed who we invited to participate as interns a lot from a diversity perspective. Um, so it gave me, you know, kind of that same tickle, I guess, where I could right. impact, you know, who had opportunity, what felt fair. Um, so did that. And then uh, I, I worked on a culture project that was uh, an executive project that was responsible for both understanding and defining Walmart's culture and mm-hmm. loved that, had a great opportunity to listen to what people thought about how it felt to work there and thinking about what levers we needed to pull to get people to feel differently about working for Walmart. And some of the work that came out of that project landed me in the diversity space. So I ended Mm. up responsible for diversity strategy and taking the outcomes from that executive project as go-dos for Mm. the diversity area. So a lot, it ended up turning out that the culture project kind of gave you the, here are the things we need to do to feel better. And by the way, this will help impact your inclusion and diversity experience as well. So now was the culture project, was the culture project another like working group additional project or was this folded under the mentorship program? Did they pull you in and say, hey, we want you on this or was it like how, how was it? Yeah, these were all separate jobs. Like so that job wasn't really, it was a project, but it was my full time job. So mm-hmm. I think my job title, if I remember correctly, stayed the same. And then I took, but I didn't, I didn't have internships anymore. I still was a resource for the person who took that over. I still helped support parts of the programming as it was kind of transitioned, but my full-time job became culture <laughs> and mm. um, how do we work at this company? How do we connect at this company? How can we improve communication, efficiency, how it feels to work here? Why do those things matter? How do we make sure people understand why they matter? That became my job. And right. after the project was done and we so-called graduated, that's what we call it once the project is finished, we graduated the project, the outcomes that we had were approved. And then it was, okay, so now we have to do these things to achieve these results. And so that kind of transitioned me into another job, which was actually diversity ah. strategy. So, yeah. So but you're now... Was, go ahead. Sorry. So you're now in diversity strategy. Yeah, I was in diversity one. strategy. Exactly how, exactly. how crazy is that? That a side project, <laughs> yeah. a side volunteer project kind of winds you into doing um, doing this work that is so aligned with who you are, mm-hmm. your sense of fairness and who you've always been, right? By creating opportunities for, for different people. Um, but now you're doing it at this, you know, top level. So what was that experience like doing diversity work for, you know, the largest company in the world? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's thing. Right. So it was uh, interesting to begin with. Uh, right. One of the things that Walmart, I think, teaches and, you know, for any people who work for Walmart now or have in the past, um, one of the things you learn working there is that you have to be connected. You have mm. to build relationships that are strong, that feel meaningful, 
And it takes a lot more than just partnering on the business to do that. And a lot Mm -hmm. of what I had to do in the roles that I had there was exactly that and teaching others how to do that. And so I was very fortunate because it was my job, but it's not everyone's job to be Mm -hmm. relational and connected and and all of those things. And then the other thing that kind of made it imperative for me is I spent my first, I was at Walmart for six years. I spent my first four years remote. So I had to build relationships with home office in Bentonville, Arkansas Mm -hmm. from Atlanta, Georgia. So Mm -hmm. I had kind of masterful at figuring out when I am in Bentonville, what are my lunches look like? You know, who am I going to spend some time with so that I feel like I'm in Bentonville too, even though I'm not. And so I learned a lot about connection and in learning it, I had to learn how to teach it. And so, Mm. um, so, so being at Walmart, that's definitely one of the big things. Um, So in, in terms of feeling, um, the other thing is it's massive. <laughs> so it feels like you're never going to, you're never going to get what you want to get done, done. And the, the second part is you realize how a very small numerical percentage can have a massive impact because hmm. the company is so big, you know, if I'm going to say, I'd like to diversify our people of color population by 1%. That's thousands of people. It, you know, it's, it's, so it's very interesting when you're working at that scale, being able to set goals that if you glance at it can feel very small, but in reality have a major impact. And so that's one of the other things that working there does is it gives you the ability to understand the value of, of little behaviors and little numbers and, and small tactical changes that, um, that you can put in place to make an impact. I don't know that I would have gotten that at another company that wasn't that size. So that was the value mm. of being there. Now there are lots of challenges at being with being at a big company, even if it's not the size of Walmart. But one of the things I think you walk away with as a benefit of working there is just really how impactful you can be, even though it may seem like it's not much. Um, right. So my, in my role with diversity strategy, very, a lot of the skills that I developed, I continue to use. But one of the things that I had the opportunity to do that was even um, more valuable was, you know, suddenly now diversity is important to our executives. So now we have to think about how we can teach our leadership how to be different. Now we have to think about how to resource leaders with tools that they can use to impact their teams. We have to think about how we can get our board on board with diversity strategy and tactics and help them understand how this might say 1%, this might say 2%, but this is really what the impact of that means for the brand. And so that's super exciting work. And and it's also very perspective shifting because now I get the opportunity to understand that, you know, not only is my influence a great skill for helping me navigate my career, my influence Mm -hmm. is a great skill for helping change the way work feels for thousands of people. Right. That's powerful. Yeah. It was amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. I, I, I don't know that I could, that I could have like wished for something to happen as well as, you know, this did. But I think that's such a it's it's a powerful story of being open to new opportunities and saying yes when opportunities come up. Um, 
and you are no longer with Walmart because you're running your own company. So how did you parlay working for the Fortune One into this new experience of running your very successful young consulting firm? How did that how did that play out? Yeah, all great things come to an end. <laughs> so, right. But that doesn't mean they don't evolve into great things. Um, greater. Greater things. I am very happy with where I am now. I was not very happy uh, <laughs> at first, though. So there's there are a lot of bumps in the road. Um, as with many large organizations, Walmart is ever evolving. Um, they decided they were going to take the company in a different direction as a whole. Lots of board turnover, lots of leadership turnover. And so there were a series, I believe there are even still series of layoffs happening with the organization. I read about those. I'm like, every time, you know, I, I would see the alerts on LinkedIn and say, oh my God, <laughs> thousands of people. No. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thousands of people. And so I was impacted uh, the beginning of, I guess that's January of 2017 by a round mm -hmm. of layoffs. Um, had a feeling it was coming just because, you know, right. I, I had enough uh, leadership connection um, to kind of get a, a little bit of an idea. I had a few hints thrown my way that, you mm -hmm. know, potentially my area could be impacted. And I, I'll, I'll be candid. I even had a couple of opportunities that were uh, kind of handed to me to say, hey, you may want to, you know, look at moving to this area. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also felt very very much that I was approaching the end of my tenure um, with the organization for a few reasons. Um, probably the biggest reason that I really, really wanted to grow. Um, and I wasn't seeing the opportunity to grow in the way that I felt like I needed at the organization. I, Walmart's amazing, but sometimes it's like mm -hmm. turning the Titanic around. It's, it's insanely right. large. And so you can't always, you know, be as quick and agile as you'd like to be with implementing ideas and that you've got to convince like 70 people, you know, to get on board. Right. And so there were things about it that I just, I thought were, you know, becoming a bit of a challenge that I wanted to see what it felt like to overcome. And I couldn't continue to do that there. So I was thinking about leaving, but it's a little mm -hmm. different when it just happens to you. <laughs> like it just right. happens for you. Um, and that's what happened. Um, you know, I got a phone call that it was my turn. And so I had to go drop all my stuff off in the office and figure out what I was going to do next. It was, it was not a bad day, but it was not a good day. So, mm. yeah. When you were, when you found out that you were no longer going to be working there, did you immediately have the idea to start your consulting company or did you say, okay, let me find another corporate role? Like what was that transition like from, major corporate work to being independent? Difficult. Um, so to answer your question, I always, for, I mean, for many years, my, so Cabral Co, Co uh, initially was Cabral Consulting, still also goes by that name, was established, I think, in 2002. Um, and so I've had my company for a while and I've done little work with it over that like project. Yeah. Um, so, you know, small things, not necessarily anything that was huge or impactful. Um, when the layoff happened, I didn't think I was going to start my own company. 
I was in interviews with a couple amazing companies, you know, your Amazons, your Googles. Like I was, I was like, I'm just going to transition. It's time maybe to move to the West coast. Like I just, I thought it was going to be that. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it, it, things happened really quickly. It was very scary. Um, I was having the experience of all of my interviews going very well, but nothing feeling like it was the right opportunity not mm-hmm. feeling like I was getting the stretch I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. In some cases, not being excited about where, you know, I was going to be asked to live or how I was going to be asked to live. Right. And so I kept interviewing, but really got cynical about it. Like, yeah, I don't even want to do this. Like, I know I need a job and I know I need income, but it became less about what does my career evolution look like? I I, I kind of started to lose my excitement for what that could feel like and started to worry about how I was going to feed myself and live and right. how could I, you know, put myself in a better position and survive until whatever this weird phase of life where I don't have income <laughs> is kind of goes past. And so things got really tough. I, you know, I left Bentonville, uh, I was traveling like a crazy person for a while. I went on like an entire sabbatical. I went to China for like three weeks. I, um, I hopped around and kind of couch surfed for a while, but I started to also pick up jobs. Like I started to have people that would say, Hey, can you come and help me with this diversity strategy for, you know, this university or, you know, it was just, jobs kind of would pop up, you know, onto my plate. And so I found myself probably about the fall of 2017, early fall, into summer, early fall. I found myself in a position where I had done a few jobs with my consulting company and mm-hmm. I was still on round four, five, six <laughs> with organizations. And I had moved out of my apartment. I put everything in storage. I was sleeping on a mentor's floor in their theater room. I was uncomfortable. Um, And I was getting very honest about what I actually wanted to do. And And that was when we, that's when you came into the Academy. I feel like that was the the floor moments. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was very real. It was very real, very uncomfortable. I was super uncertain about everything. And I started the Academy and right about that time, I realized I didn't want to interview anymore. (laughs) And that was a very real moment for me. I gotten very good at interviews. I knew how to get to the next round. I knew what questions to ask. I knew how to do the research. I knew how to figure out if a company felt like they were going to be the right fit for me. I even had gotten to the point where I knew how to ask the right questions to really get to what the experience was going to be. Cause you got to think I've got all this experience with how culture works. I've got all this experience right. with how to navigate people. And I employed all of that in my interviews. And in the, it was in the middle of an interview with Google that I, I can remember very vividly just saying, you know, this sounds like it is a great opportunity. It just does not sound like it's the opportunity that's right for me. I think I can probably send you a couple people who would be a good fit for this, but I don't think wow. it's me. And I mean, I never respond. Well, the woman totally <laughs> dropped her jaw. Like she was just like, what who is this? It? And who, who are you? Like, we are Google. Right. But um, 
it just, I mean, it just hit me. I was exhausted. I was tired of, it got to the point where interviewing felt like it was interrupting my progress. It felt like it was interrupting mm. me from being able to focus on building whatever this other thing was that I was building. It, it was taking time away from me getting my website right. It was taking time away from me writing the verbiage I wanted to write. It was taking time away from me doing my homework assignments for the academy. Like it felt like an interruption. And I decided I was just, you know, done being interrupted. And um, probably about two weeks after that, I got my first large client and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh this is, this is the right thing. Pause. This is the way this goes. <laughs> so the moment, two weeks after you walked out of an interview with Google and you essentially made the decision, the conscious decision to bet on yourself. Yeah. Two weeks after you said, I'm betting on me, all chips on me. Literally, because I'm biggest. sleeping on the floor. Like, my stuff is in right. storage. I'm, like, living out of storage you the, bins. You get the biggest opportunity of your consulting company's very young life. Yeah. If that is not a lesson in faith and the requirement for you to have some skin in the game, I don't know what is. You know, yeah. so many people want to have, they want to dip a toe. They want to try a little bit. But they really lack the faith that number one, they're good enough and they have what it takes to succeed. But number two, that there are opportunities out there for them to have and that success is available to them. Right. And I think, you know, we're so tied to what we know. It's so easy to just grasp and hold on to how you've been used to making your money, earning your living, instead of having faith that there could be something different for you. So you get the call or you get the email that you've got this new opportunity and what, how did that change things for you? I felt like I was doing the right thing, but I still wasn't sold. So okay. I, you know, I definitely went through the academy. I did all of my homework assignments for those of you who are thinking about the academy, please do your homework. <laughs> it matters a lot. Um, but I did all my my stuff and I was I was building, I was, you know, making sure that my website had the right things. I was taking advantage of some of the skills that I learned as far as um, networking and connecting with others. I definitely leaned on people who knew me and knew my work and shared what I was doing and what I was interested in doing. Um, you do a lot of work before you even know it's going to sell. I definitely did that. And I still wasn't sure. So I set a dollar goal. I said, okay. If I make X five-figure amount by the end of January 2018, then I'll stop looking. I'm going to stop. Like, I get all these emails and alerts for jobs and opportunities, like all the LinkedIn career, like all of that stuff. I am going to stop all of that if I hit this dollar amount. And I secured that dollar amount in contracts about a month after that. And that was when I said, okay, I'm never going back. <laughs> like I'm never going back to, um, to work in a corporate environment as a full-time employee. I love corporate, but I really like it from the position that I approach it now where I get to come in, I get to assess and get a feel for an organization's culture and help them kind of shift their perspectives and move the needle on how to be different so they can be more inclusive. I love that work. 
and I'm not ever going to approach doing it a different way, at least not in the foreseeable future. So I hit my dollar goal. And then the next thing I know, word of mouth is crazy. You know, people hear that you're doing something and then people know one another. Your networks are a lot smaller than you think. Um, people who know your work, people who you've, you know, supported, they're, you know, they're eager to see what you're going to do next. And, you know, you do have haters. There are people who are going to be like, oh, I can't believe she's doing this. And I'm, I'm sure I had that. But I have far more people that were willing to step into the gap for me and say, hey, you're doing that and I can just buy it from you. Hey, we should have a conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it totally was unexpected, but I don't know that I would have gotten there had I not decided to stop interviewing and focus completely on what I wanted. And really, if I hadn't have gotten as uncomfortable as I did, you know, so I think all of that played a part in me changing directions to have the life that I have today. So many nuggets from what you just shared. So number one, I heard have faith, right? And just, you have to take a step out on faith. You have to, two, I heard set a concrete goal that you can allow yourself to reach. So it's a metric of some sort, give yourself a timeline and a number. If you know, if we're talking about money, set a monetary goal with a deadline so that you know you're working towards something. So have something that you're working towards. That was number two. And number three, people are, more people are out there ready to support you than you think. Yeah. Than you think they are, right? So I think a lot of people assume that they don't have support. They assume that if they do step out there, it's just going to be, you know, floating. They're going to be floating by themselves. But we all are constellations of our personal networks. Everyone we've had the chance to meet and get to know over the years, people we've worked with, people we've met at conferences. There are all of these people. You're not alone. There's a net that is available to catch you and support you. But so many of us aren't even in a position to access that net or use that net. So we don't even know how powerful it is. So I love that, you know, once you stepped out there and you saw, okay, this is working. This is real. I'm, I'm hitting my goals. Other people are reaching out to you because they're hearing about the great work that you're doing. And I'm sure that the energy you were bringing to this work was probably on a different level because this is what you're very passionate about versus just, you know, these are the things that are within your job description. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, there are a few things I'd add to that. I don't know that I would have even articulated that as well as you did actually in terms of, you know, kind of what you walk away with and the things that happen that helped me get there. I, I do think goal setting is important. I think, I mean, you can pick up any business book and they're going to tell you, you need to set a goal. Um, and I also think that leveraging your relationships is, is critical as well. But there are some things that I, I saw as consistencies that I did that I tell people all the time. So the first one is you don't have to live the life you've been told to. You get mm. to pick the life you want. You get to decide. I, I you right. know, so I'm on Instagram. I post all the time. You can have whatever you want. And I post I it love that. a lot. And yeah. a lot of times daily. I post it. Yeah, almost daily at least, right? And so, and the reason I do that is because I think, I spent a long time thinking that my life had to look a certain way. I thought that I had to have a corporate 
job in the traditional sense. I thought that I had to, I mean, and, and, and even in my personal space, right? You, you think you're, you have to get married, you have to have kids, you have to buy a house, you have to, you know, like all of these things, like there are all these systems in place that teach you the way you should live, but you don't have to do that. You can choose, right. you get a say, and you can decide that, you know, the way you want to live your life is valid and pursue um, options that help get you there. And I didn't think that that was an alternative, not one that would provide me with income. <laughs> so, um, so until that's a, you saw the contract start to come in, yeah. you didn't believe. I did not that. believe okay. it. Did not believe okay. it. I thought that I had to live like, if I wanted to be financially well off, I either had to have someone who was willing to invest in my ideas so that I could make it happen or that I had to have a corporate career not that I could create anything. And you really do get to decide and create that. The second thing is always be evolving. Like I think you have to be willing to do the work of change. Mm. Nothing that has happened in my life has just happened in my life. It has all been a product of me doing something. And so I look for opportunities to be eager to do Sometimes I don't even know that that doing is going to produce income or that it's going to produce an opportunity. But if I'm excited about it and I'm interested in it and it feels good to me, I'm going to do it because I understand that being open to evolution and being exposed to things and doing things to get that exposure is critical. Because if I didn't do, I definitely would not be here. And then the last thing is bring authenticity to everything that you do. I have been myself. Now, there are times when being yourself is going to be difficult or uncomfortable and people are going to tell you that you need to change and for a time to survive and pay your bills, you may need to adjust. But I think right. it's really important to figure out who you are and how you are and seek out relationships, work, life that connects to the authentic part of who you are. Because there's room for you to do whatever you have the way you want to. You just have to do the work to find it. But like, I don't, mm. I don't think that eliminating the thing that makes you unique or special or, um, you know, just kind of shedding parts of your identity that don't fit into a stereotypical, you know, space is the best way to get to anywhere. I think you will find that there are doors and opportunities that will open up when you bring your true self to a space that you would otherwise have never known were even available to you. So those will be my Do you have an three. example of that? Do you have an example yeah. of when that happened to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I hear a or heard a lot in a corporate space is um, my personality is too strong. Your personality is so strong. You have such a strong personality. You have to, you know, be a little nicer. You need to be a little more calm. And, you know, you have to find a way to communicate uh, in a way that feels better to people. <laughs> and there's some truth to that in a corporate environment. Like you have to figure out and adapt to whatever that corporate culture understands but my bigness, my strong personality, my boldness makes for an exciting training. It makes for a great, interactive, fun, engaging session. I am 
I've never taught a session and not been invited back. And so Mm. I fit there. My bigness fits there. My being direct, my rawness, my a little bit of edgy belongs in that space. And so I I, could have gotten rid of that. I could have shaved that part of myself off. But like, I get to be that all the time and it's actually me. So like, you, you have to figure out what your authenticity is, what really is the core you and hold on to that and take it with you into spaces. And it won't fit everywhere. But when you mm-hmm. find where it fits, you know, those, I mean, I would never have known. I would never have known. And the funny thing about that is what made me even begin doing training was Walmart. I had a boss who was like, you're great in front of people. You should do this. And I was terrified. I was like, I'm not doing that. I still have a relationship with that boss now. She's actually somebody that's hired me to do work. So it's, it's, that's not an opportunity I would have ever seen if I didn't bring my real self to the spaces that I'm in, even when that real self was kind of met with, I don't know if you belong here. I think that's interesting for people who are in corporate still or people who are just simply in employment or business situations where they don't feel like it's safe to be 100% themselves. As you said, you were told in one space that your personality is too strong, but then when you packaged yourself for a different situation, it's the magic, right? And so, you know, for those of you listening who feel like you have to contort yourself into something different, you're living, it may be that you're simply using your gifts and wrong. So Amber, Tell us about the clients you work with now, the work you're doing now, and how people can get in touch with you if they are, uh, if they fit the bill or their organization fits the bill of um, an ideal Cabral co-partner. So I work with all size organizations, actually. So most of my clients right now are Fortune 500 retailers. So think, you know, The Gap, The North Face, Timberland, those types of organizations are um, some of my clients. But I work with smaller organizations, too, as well as universities. So in terms of criteria, if you are looking to evolve your culture and you're looking for a way to do that in a meaningful way and and have tactics that you can apply that don't feel like check the box and you're authentic about wanting to shift that, I probably can be of service to you. And anyone can just go out to my website. It's Cabralco, that's C-A-B-R-A-L-C-O.com and take a look at the services we offer and get a, a little clip of just kind of some of the work that I do. Amber's being um, very modest in her description, both her services and her success is doing um, very well and has worked with a number as, as she mentioned, fortune 500 and her company is almost two years old. So we don't play the numbers game. You're a packager genius, but the numbers are good. It's been two years and the business is doing very well. So if you have a budget and you can, um, you know, 
afford to bring a training resource into your organization and you need some support with culture, I highly recommend that you speak with Amber. Visit her website and check her out and follow her on social media. I'll include her social handles in the show notes because her social presence is very inspiring. She talks not only about the work she does for her company, but all of her community involvement her mentoring and how she is supporting people uh, who need to gain access to wider opportunities. And it's always so inspiring to me to watch because that's definitely something that I want to do more of this year. So follow Amber on social media to stay inspired because as she always says, and I try to take note of, you can have whatever you want. That's true. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber, for being our guest and sharing your amazing story and inspiring all of our listeners. Um, It's just an honor to walk alongside you and watch your journey unfold. And I can't see, can't wait to see what happens with you and your company this year. Thank you. I can't wait to share it with you. All right. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that amazing? Oh, my God. So I just get chills thinking about how Amber's path twisted and turned all the way to this very successful business that she's running today. And to think that a fortuitous opportunity like taking a volunteer role at your company could unlock an area of passion that you weren't crystal clear on is a lesson for all of us to be open to opportunities that come our way. So especially if you're working in an organization, get to know other people who sit at other desks, get to know people on other teams, volunteer to participate in projects that are not directly related to the work that you're doing, because you never know, it could be a way for you to uncover an untapped passion And an area of strength, professional strength, that you may be able to build upon and leverage well into the future, just like Amber did. So what am I reading this week? A few things. Um, One article that I came across that I thought was fascinating was about homeowners who purchased houses on golf courses. Um back in the 80s and 90s when there was a a golf course housing boom. And now those homeowners are finding their property values decreasing because millennials are not um, as interested in the game of golf as previous generations. So those golf courses are not as busy and they're just not as valued and prized as they were 20 years ago. So that article was called Golf Homeowners Find Themselves in a Hole. And that was from the Wall Street Journal. I thought the article was really interesting because I'm always fascinated by uh, the trends in consumerism and how different audiences consumption can shift the economy and have a ripple effect in all sorts of different areas, even if they were not, you know, the initial target of a specific marketing push. And just to see how things change, right? Like 20 years ago, living on a golf course was cool. It it seemed exclusive. It meant you were someone, you were wealthy, and now it really means nothing for a lot of people because the golf courses are, are, well, I won't give the whole article away. I will link to it in the show notes. 
also read a great article on blacknews.com about three brothers who started a candle company and their candle company is now um, selling candles in stores around the country. And I happen to know their mom, Selena Gill. So shout out to Selena. But I'll also link to the article about uh, the Gill brothers and their their candle company. I don't even want to try to pronounce it because it's French. It's French. Friere brand show, I think is how you say it. Um, but anyway, there was a great a great write up about them and the cool things that they're doing with their business. So if you have kids and you have considered getting them into the entrepreneurial game, check out the article. Maybe it will spark some inspiration for both of you. And lastly, I finally watched the fire. Um, what is it? What was it called? Fire? I don't remember the name of it, but the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix. I took an evening last week. I know I'm late, uh, but I took an evening last week just to catch up to see um, to see what what the whole big deal was about because so many people were tweeting about it and and sharing notes on Facebook and Instagram about it. So I wanted to check it out. It was definitely worth the two hours that I sat there. It was riveting, fascinating how. You know, being confident and, you know, having this unshakable vision all the way to the very end can really get people to follow you. So, you know, not to say you want to have people or lead people down an unscrupulous path, but it did show the power of confidence, um, which I am always fascinated by because sometimes people who have a subpar product, as long as they have superior confidence, seems like they can get everything right and so um, take away from that what you will from the message at least that I took away from it on confidence it's last call for Package Genius Academy session starting February 5th I am you know kind of getting those back to school jitters I've got a new group coming together we've got almost all of our um, students enrolled and we have a couple of spots if you are still interested in doing this program it is a powerful hybrid as I always say of you know the online course model and training but more so the uh, the group coaching experience that you get every week during office hours and everyone gets to individualized one-on-one coaching sessions with me. So it's a powerful hybrid of training, group coaching, and individual coaching. So you get accountability and strategy and lots of attention, which I think, you know, for a program that you are enrolling in or investing in, doing the work and learning new things is not always the hardest part. Sometimes it's getting feedback to know if you are doing it right. And uh, one of the things that I pride myself on in Packager Genius Academy is really being there for the students. Uh, I have a product that is self-paced, the branding box, brandingbox.com, shout out to it. But this program is not that. This is really a chance to build community and connect with other people who are on the journey of building their brands while you are too. 
and it's a chance to get eyes on your brand from an expert who will be there to help you navigate your assignments, craft your pitches, fine tune your pitches, firm up your brand message and narrative, you know, who will lovingly push you to pitch the media and get yourself out there. We've had some incredible successes with this past cohort. We had a former journalist who'd never been in front of the camera pitch herself and land her first TV interview talking about her expertise of social media. And the interview went really well, so well, in fact, that someone watching the interview reached out to her um, to hire her to come and do a a speaking engagement or training on social media. We had another student who was transitioning from one industry and decided she wanted to start working with women and be a light worker and a coach and had never offered her services in that way and was obviously nervous about doing it. But before the program ended, she had 10 people enrolled in her new program. So, you know, if if your interest is in getting exposure, this is a program that can outline exactly how to do that. If your interest is in making money immediately from your expertise, if you're really good at it and you have a community to tap, this program can walk you through how to do that as well. So you can find more information on PackagerGeniusAcademy.com. But this is the last call. I'm holding interviews later this week and on Monday. And then we start on Tuesday, February 5th. Thanks again for listening to this interview with Amber Cabral. She is doing amazing work in the world. So shout her out on social media, share her website, uh, tweet her, Instagram her and let her know you heard the interview and that it inspired you. Shout me out as well. I'm Packager Genius on Instagram and Amanda Mogul on Twitter. Let me know you're listening. Let me know you heard us and let me know what you're up to this week. I'll see you next time.